celebrate your great name in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Well, church, we made it. It's Christmas time. Merry Christmas. Amen. Merry Christmas to you. We pray Christmas blessings upon you and your family. We, we had a wonderful year, and I'd like to say thank you for making another wonderful year of ministry here with us at the Mission Church. Amen. We thank you very much. Why don't you give the Lord just a thank you, and we want to say thank you. Wonderful year. A wonderful year. And we pray that next year that you would have a happy new year as we have meal together after service. And, and then we'll, we'll, we'll part and go to our families and enjoy our family time. We'll come back and it'll be a wonderful time. Amen. 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 So happy new year to you. And if you didn't bring anything for dinner, that's okay. Stay and eat with us anyway. Anita brought extra. <laughs> she brought extra. So did, so, did, so did Alice. She brought extra. So there's enough. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 46, and we're going to look at verses 9 through 11. Isaiah 46, 9 through 11. Isaiah 46, starting in verse number 9, the Bible says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there's none like me. Amen? Amen. I am God, and there's none like me. Look at verse 10. Now, he gives a description about himself. He says, I'm the God that declares the end from the beginning. From the ancient times, the things that are not, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. God says, what I said I will do, I'm going to do. Hey, Shawnee, I didn't see you come in. Hallelujah. God says, my counsel shall stand, and I will do my pleasure. God says, if I set out to do something, I'm going to do it. Look at verse number 11. Now, it gives a description about the things that he can do. He says, I call the ravenous bird from the east. God says, I can call things to come to me. He says, listen, the man that executes my counsel from afar, I can send a man to a country and he'll execute my stuff. Verse 11 goes on to say, yea, I have spoken it. This is God speaking. Yea, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it and I will also do it. Amen. God says, I'm going to do it. I want you to turn to one more verse of scripture in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15. This is a prophetic word that comes to us straight out of the Garden of Eden from God Himself. Now, you know, in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve are tempted to go to the tree that they're not supposed to eat from. Eve picks the fruit. She's tempted by Satan. She has a conversation with the enemy. 
And she's enticed, and she takes this piece of fruit, takes it to her husband, and we know what happens. They both eat it. Instantly, they died spiritually and became aware of their flesh and their surroundings. This is God speaking to them. This is a prophetic word from Father God, how he's going to handle things in the future. This is God declaring the end from the beginning. This is the all-knowing God saying, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to set my counsel in motion, and you trust me, nothing's going to stop me from accomplishing my plans. I can call birds and they'll come. I can send men and they'll go. If I say something, you can rest assured it will happen. This is God speaking. So in Genesis 3.15, he begins to talk to Satan about what he did, how Satan deceived mankind. And I'm going to read it from the Amplified Bible. This is Father God speaking to Satan. He says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and her offspring he will bruise and tread your head under his foot and you will lie in wait and bruise his heel this is a prophetic word that God's saying this God says okay Satan you think you did something here and you're going to steal from me this is what I'm going to do there's going to be division between you and the women, you and people, especially women, for a long time. There's going to be an enemy. There's going to be an enemy. There's going to be a division. And this is what I'm going to do. Through the seed of a woman, I'm going to raise up a man who's going to crush your head. I'm going to raise up a man from her offspring, and I'm going to bruise. I'm going to take my heel, and I'm going to tread you under my foot. Now, for a season... You're going to lie in wait, and you're going to bruise the heel, but it's not going to be for long. Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at the importance of biblical prophecies. And I know it's Christmas time, and there's no better biblical prophecy than Jesus being born on the earth. Amen? It is the greatest fulfillment of the prophetic that could have ever happened. Jesus in one instance fulfilled all the prophecies of the Old Testament about his coming as soon as he was conceived in Mary's womb. So we teach fulfilled prophecy because it proves the spiritual authority and the reliability of the Bible. You can, you can take this book and believe it 100% because the very things that God said in it have happened. They didn't just come by chance. They came with pinpoint accuracy, exactly the way he spoke it, exactly the way he said it was going to happen. He was right on with all of it. So scholars have looked at it and they said it's a mathematical impossibility for one man in one man's life, in the life of Jesus, to fulfill just 10 of the prophecies. There's 300 of them, and Jesus fulfilled them all. Mathematical impossibility can't happen unless God, like we just read about in Isaiah, is orchestrating things. Just like we read about in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, where God is orchestrating things. I'm going to send somebody who's going to crush your head, Satan. Amen? 
That's a prophetic word. These prophecies predicted his birth, his place of birth. It predicted the tribe he would come from. They predicted his lineage, his virgin birth, the star. They predicted his anointing. They predicted his death on a cross. They predicted his burial. They predicted his resurrection. And all of these prophecies came to pass just like predicted. That's the God we serve. Amen. Glory be to his holy name. The first coming of Jesus Christ, he came as a suffering servant. We know that. We've seen that. He came in the most humble way. He came as a man. He came as a baby. He lived a sinless life, and he came very humble, very meek, very mild. He came to show us a way to take on the sins of the world. But you mark me, church. Jesus Christ is coming back. When he comes back the second time, he's going to appear in all glory as the conquering king. We will see him in all of his glory this next time. He will come as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He will come with the angels and the armies of heaven and take over the whole place. Amen? Take over the whole place. These prophecies that the Lord gives us it's him revealing the future. Isaiah says he tells the end from the beginning. He knows the end of the story, so he begins to unravel it and speak it to you so that you can see it. He reveals mysteries and secrets to us to prepare us. How many of you would like to prepare your children? If you knew what was going to happen, wouldn't you want to be prepared? The Boy Scout motto, be prepared. I spent 10 years in the United States Navy Seabees. My wife says, you are the most overprepared human being I've ever met in my life. <laughs> she said, my goodness gracious. My kids come home and they say, Dad, when the apocalypse happens, we don't have nothing to worry about. You got it all. We're coming here. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with preparing. Amen? Amen. Preparing shows expectation. Hallelujah. Preparing shows hope that something is coming. Preparing says to the people around you, Jesus is coming back and I'm getting ready. Amen. Amen. It was just like in, in the Old Testament when, the, when Elijah kept going to this woman's house and hanging out with her and her husband. The wife finally said, let's make the prophet a room. <laughs> you ought to start preparing a room. See, they were fully expecting the prophet to show up. This is, what the, this is what prophecy does. When you read the prophetic word, it builds great biblical hope in your life. It reveals to you that, yes, I might test, I might die, and I might taste death, but death is just a doorway. Glory be to his holy name. Death is just a doorway. And if I have my way, which we talked about last week, we're going to roll out of here in some chariots of fire, just like Elijah. Amen? I'm going to be alive when he comes. And when that chariot of fire comes, he's going to push Paul to one side. He's going to push Joe to the other side. And that fire chariot, choom, and we're going to be in a race. I'm going to say, come on. Where's Paul and Joe? They're back there. Let's beat them. <laughs> Take off. It builds great biblical hope. See, when they heard the Old Testament prophecies about the coming of Messiah, it built great biblical hope in the nation. 
We talked about it in Luke chapter 3 and verse number 15. The Bible says that the people were, in, were all in expectation, wondering if John was the Messiah. See, they believed the prophetic word so powerfully, they believed that Messiah was coming on the scene. When John showed up, the whole nation showed up and said, is that him? That's how expectant they were. This is how you need to be expecting the second coming, the glorious appearing of Jesus. Jesus met a woman at the well, and the woman at the well is having a conversation with Jesus, and she says, I know Messiah is coming. Look at that hope. Look at that purpose in her heart. I know he's coming. How many of you know he's coming, church? I know he's coming. If you know he's coming, then you got to start preparing. you got to start getting ready. The king is coming. Hallelujah. He said, when the king comes, when Messiah comes, I know that when he comes, he's going he's gonna to tell us everything. She's fully expecting and believing these things to come to pass. That's what the Bible does. When you read prophecies from the Bible, they, 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 they come inside of us because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And as I read the scripture, it builds faith up inside of me and faith explodes. What's the faith that I'm believing in? Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. It gives me faith to believe that what God says will come to happen. So what I'm doing with you today is what the first church did. They kept prophesying to them and encouraging them that Messiah was coming. And over the last several weeks, I've been prophesying to you from the scriptures and showing you emphatically that one day heaven is going to open and the eastern sky is going to part and Jesus the Messiah is going to come. Hallelujah. The Bible says so. Get these, get these scriptures inside of you because it'll change the way you live and it'll give you an expectation and a hope in a world that doesn't give you any expectation or any hope. Amen. What expectation do you have from the world? Gloom, doom, destruction. How many of you are putting any faith in the presidential election of 2024? Yeah. I mean, I know we got to vote, but bless God, it's not coming geopolitical for America. We get this victory through the Lord Jesus. Amen. That's how we get it. Titus chapter 2 verse 13. Encourages the people. Look for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Titus 2.13. Look for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing. That's what I'm talking to you about today. The glorious appearing. Amen? So be encouraged, church, and gloriously look for the second coming of Jesus. Now, last week we talked about the second coming of Jesus and how it happens. The second coming of Jesus happens in two stages. And last week we talked about the first stage of his coming is the rapture of the church. It's the rapture of the church. You can go look that up. Jesus is going to appear in the clouds, and those who are dead in Christ at the last trumpet are going to be raised up. Amen? Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together, and we'll meet the Lord in the air. It's going to be a great time. Hallelujah. We eagerly look for this. We eagerly wait for this. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28 says this. Christ offered was offered once to bear the sins of many. 
to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time. I'm telling you, you better start eagerly waiting for him. Have you, eager, have you ever eagerly waited for something? Have you ever ordered something on Amazon and just couldn't wait till it got there? And you order it on Amazon and you say, where's that package, man? And you have to go back. You ordered it last night and you're back on the Amazon app looking at it thinking, Tuesday before 9 p.m. Come on, man. Get here. Right? You're, you're actively waiting for it to come in the mail, looking for the UPS truck to show up. You hear the door slam and you think, that's it, man. I'm going outside to meet the Usually about this time. This is what Jesus says. This is the kind of expectation we should be having about him. This kind of expectation. This kind of looking. The second coming of Jesus and the rapture of church is going to happen. The Bible mentions it 329 times. It's the second most frequently mentioned doctrine of all the scriptures. The coming of Jesus. The second coming is a prophetic. The second coming, this two-part event, this event is a prophetic key that unlocks 15 events that happen afterwards. The rapture happens, we get taken away, and then 15 events happen. But this event has to happen first. Future events unfold. Old Testament, New Testament prophecies, including many of Christ's own prophecies, and the, and the work of salvation is complete at the second coming. Two-stage process. The rapture of the church, which we talked about last week. This is the first part of this uh, event. The second part can't happen before the first event takes place. As soon as the church is raptured out, then things begin to unfold in a different way. Two stages of his coming. That's the first stage, the rapture. Today I want to talk to you about the second stage. The second stage is the glorious appearing of the King of kings and Lord of lords in the sky with his heavenly army as he comes to earth to crush his enemy and set up his millennial kingdom on the earth. That'll, be, that'll literally be the fulfillment of Genesis chapter 3 in verse 15. <laughs> he will come back and he will crush the enemy. It'll be over. Be done. So the first, the first part of this is that the church is raptured to the Father's house. The second part is that the man of sin or the Antichrist comes on the earth and he deceives the world. The third part is that the earth goes through a seven-year tribulation period. And at the end of those seven years is the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. They come back with his heavenly host and his armies to defeat the enemy. So the first thing is the rapture. 1 Thessalonians 4.16. You can listen to last week's message. For the Lord himself came down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. If you have someone who's gone home to be with the Lord, don't worry. They're going to be resurrected before you are. <laughs> You're going to catch him up in the clouds. You're going to see them. They're going to be in the clouds with Jesus. And then all of a sudden, we who are alive and remain will be caught up. And you'll be going, Shoo, Mama. That's how fast. That's how it's going to be. Twinkling of an eye. That's how fast. 
So you'll be caught up. The dead in Christ will be raised, and those who are still alive shall be caught up together. And we'll meet the, we'll, we'll meet them in the clouds, and we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Turning your Bible to John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. In this two-stage thing that happens, as the church is raptured out, people ask, Mandy, where do we go? What happens after we're raptured? Here's the teaching from the scriptures. You go to the Father's house. That's where we go. John chapter 14, Jesus talks about us going to the Father's house. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Listen to what he said. I go to prepare a place for you. Listen to the prophetic word of Jesus. I'm going. I'm preparing a place for you. Verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Boy, that should excite you. I will come again. Jesus himself prophesied, I will come again. I'll come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. <laughs> Hallelujah. So where's Jesus? At the Father's house? Yes. Seated where? In glory. At the right hand of God the Father in the Father's house. So when he raptures us out, he steps out of the Father's house, meets us in the clouds, and takes us back to the Father's house. <laughs> You can read about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 15. What happens <coughs> is that we get raptured out and we go to the we go to the judgment of the believer. The believer now is judged. We go under the believer's judgment. You can read about it in 1 Corinthians 3:15. A better way to talk about this believer's judgment, it's really a time of evaluation. And a time of designation. Okay, because listen, this word judgment, the believer's judgment, it's a Greek word and it literally means bema, like a bema seat, a bema. This is the Greek word. It means a platform where a judge or a governor will stand and give out evaluations and rewards. You get, you get evaluated and then you get rewarded so the judgment seat when you get to the father's house when we go through the believer's judgment you can take it just like this like a big commencement ceremony it's like a big graduation ceremony and we're all there at the graduation in our seats and jesus comes up and says well here we go at the graduation there are some measure of disappointment and remorse because the people thought, man, I could have done better. I should have worked a little harder. How many of you sat at graduation and thought, boy, I probably could have done a little better than what I did? <laughs> How many of you sat in the graduation seat? You got your cap and your gown on. You're going to graduate, but you realize I'm graduating in a class of 300 at number 299. <laughs> And then it finally dawns on you. I'm only smarter than one guy in the whole class. Oh, my goodness. What would you beat him by? A tenth of a point. You know what I mean? So, but the guy sitting there at 299 
when he, he's a little bit discouraged and there's some disappointment. But when they call his name and he walks across that stage and they hand him that diploma, he ain't crying, is he? He's rejoicing. Hallelujah. I didn't get, like my daughter, number one. My daughter graduated number one in high school. She went to college. She graduated number one in college. I mean, she graduated with a double major, and she got the highest awards of everybody. They called her name so many times, they said, why don't you just stay here? <laughs> She'd leave, and they just call her back. And she got rewarded, and she got awards for English and math and science and all these things. But guess what? She got the reward, but everybody in the class, everybody in the room had to do the same work she did. She just did it with the greatest ability more than anybody else. And she got an award for it. But the kid who was 299, guess what? He still passed. He still got his graduation certificate. They still came by and shook his hand and said, good job. That's what the, that's what the believer's judgment is going to be like. I'm going to share with you the five crowns that you get at the believer's judgment. Five crowns. Now, some of us won't get any crowns. But guess what? You're, you're in heaven. <laughs> right? You're in heaven, you're in glory. At the judgment seat of Christ, your sins are not judged. Jesus already died for your sins. Glory be to God. Rejoice, church. Your sins aren't brought up. They're cast away as far as the east is from the west. They're washed under the blood of Jesus. They're not there. The Father doesn't know about your sins anymore because they've been eradicated. They've been erased. They've been washed away. Hallelujah, I shouldn't even be at the graduation ceremony, but Jesus invited me. Hallelujah. So the first crown is the incorruptible crown. You read about it in 1 Corinthians 9, 27. It's the victor's crown, and it's confirmed, it's conferred upon people who keep their body and bring it into subjection. Paul says, like an athlete. Like an athlete trains to run a marathon, this person keeps himself away from the things of the world. They purge themselves from the pleasures of the world so that they can be a profitable servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And just like an athlete, they train to run the race and win it. Well, this person is running the race so that he can be a profitable servant to the Lord. You get received an incorruptible crown. Number two. Some people in, in Revelation 2.10, you'll receive the martyr's crown. It's just like what it says. You endure Christian persecution to the point of death and you die. Martyr's crown. Crown number three, 1 Peter 5 and 4, is the crown of glory or the shepherd's crown. The crown of glory, the shepherd's crown, is given to those who have given their lives to the teaching of the word of God. Crown number four, the crown of righteousness, 2 Timothy 4.8. The crown of righteousness is given to Christians who are inspired by the immediate or the imminent return of Jesus and they've lived a holy and righteous life because they said Jesus is coming. Every one of us have the opportunity to get these crowns. Every one of us have an opportunity to get a crown. Every one of us. The fifth crown is in 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20. It's the crown of rejoicing or 
the soul winner's crown. The soul winner's crown is given to those who've dedicated their attention to the salvation of souls. He who wins souls is wise. These crowns are available to all of us. So at the judgment seat of Christ, so that what happens, first stage of the second coming, Jesus comes and we're raptured, we go to the Father's house. At the Father's house, we all go through the believer's judgment. At the believer's judgment, we're all evaluated and given crowns. Guess who the crown is for? Huh? Guess who the crown is for? Because look, as we, after we get evaluated in the Father's house, you, you know what we're being evaluated for and getting these crowns for? We're about to now, after the evaluation, the judgment seat of Christ, guess what happens next? We go into the marriage supper of the Lamb. Hallelujah. And you're going to show up at the marriage supper and you're going to have a gift for King Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, yeah. So the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is what's going to happen in heaven. Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. This is what happens. We're raptured. We go to the Father's house. We go through the believer's judgment. We're evaluated. We're given all of our gifts. We're in, we're in our cap and gowns. We're washed in robes of white. We're standing in all of Jesus' righteousness. Not ours, his. Clothed in white and brilliant, dazzling, clean. The Bible says how many? Thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. That's the number. You can look at the book of Revelation. How many were there? Thousands upon thousands. 10,000 times 10,000. Glory be to God. We're standing in their white robes. So we can read about it. Revelation chapter number 19. Want to follow along? You can read about it. After this, I heard the sound like the roar of a great multitude in heaven. And they were shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power be to our God. For just and true are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of the saints. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! And smoke, the smoke of her goes up forever and ever. Verse 4, And the 24 elders and the living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne, and they cried, Hallelujah, Amen. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him both small and great. Verse number 6, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like the sound of perils of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, our God reigns. This is the wedding supper. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. Verse 7, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. What are we going to be wearing? Here it is, verse 8. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Hallelujah. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Verse number 9, Then the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. And at this I fell at his feet 
and I worshipped him. And he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the spirit of prophecy who bears the testimony to Jesus. That's the marriage supper. We'll be clothed in white. We're going to go in and we're going to worship and we're going to say hallelujah, glory. We're going to do all these things and we'll be married to the Lamb. Now, while all this is going on in heaven, you say, how long is our, how long is our party, Pastor? Seven years. We're going to be in heaven for seven years, hanging out, having a great time. How many of you want to go to a seven-year wedding feast? <laughs> seven years of wedding feast. It's going to be glorious, church. It's going to be, it's going to be absolutely wonderful. Now, as this is taking place in heaven... On the earth is great tribulation. On the earth is a time where the Bible says it's terrible, unequal to any other time since the world began. Nothing can be compared to it. Matthew says if these days weren't cut short, nobody on earth would survive. On the earth will be terrible times. Perilous times is what the Bible said. Days of distress. The sun will be turned Uh, The sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. It's going to be disaster upon disaster upon disaster on the earth. Don't miss the rapture. Don't miss it. Matthew's gospel talks about these days in verse number 29 Matthew 24 and 29 immediately after the distress of those days I want you to hear that saying immediately after the distress of those days so these days are going on on the earth and immediately after the distress of those days when the seven year period comes to an end revelations 19 1 through 10 was about the marriage supper You know how the marriage supper ends at seven years? You know where our honeymoon is? We line up with Jesus. And he parts the eastern sky. And on a a black sky, because it's the battle of Armageddon where all the nations have come together to destroy Israel. And it's the worst battle that anybody's ever seen. The world is in the worst condition. Our honeymoon Jesus says, we're married now. Let's take a little ride. Let's let's take a little ride together. Okay. And the eastern sky parts on a black velvet sky. And Jesus appears on a white stallion. You can't miss him. Hair as white as wool. Eyes like fire. A flaming sword coming out of his mouth. And on the stallion... He's written the word of God. He who is faithful and true. And all of a sudden we appear with him. All of us, all the heavenly hosts, all the angel armies. And us stand the Revelations 19 verses 16 or 11 through 16. The glorious appearing. And I saw heaven standing open. And before me was a white horse whose rider was called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. 
His eyes are like fire. On his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. Verse 13. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. And his name is the word of God. Whose name is the word of God? Jesus. We know that. His name is the word of God. Verse 14. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen and white clothes. Hallelujah. Verse 15. Coming out of Jesus' mouth is a sharp sword to which he will strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of Almighty God. And on his robe and on his thigh has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah. The glorious appearing. This is when he comes back, verse, Matthew chapter 24, verse 30. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Hallelujah. When Christ comes this second time, he's going to come as the righteous warrior. He will be invincible. He will consume all before him and all that stand in opposition to him. And he'll bring everyone into subjection. How fast? In, a, in a, just a twinkling of an eye. Boom, it'll be over. The armies of heaven will be with him. We'll be riding with him. Revelations 19, 14. The armies of heaven were following him riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Hallelujah. The armies of heaven consist of the angelic host, the Old Testament saints, the New Testament church, and all the tribulation saints who gave their life. Notice we're riding on white horses and we're dressed in white linen. And Jesus, the commander of the, our commander-in-chief, he's leading the army on a white stallion. You don't go to war wearing white. <laughs> you don't go to war wearing white. As a matter of fact, when you go to war, you don't even salute those who are in authority over you. You don't wear any, in, any insignia ever so the enemy doesn't know who's in charge and who's not. Because they don't want the general to be assassinated. So we know he's the general, but we don't, we don't address him that way. We don't salute them on the battlefield. They don't wear stars out there because if the enemy realizes he's given orders, kill him. And we don't wear white. We wear camouflage. <laughs> we don't want to be seen. If you're, if, if you're being hunted, you don't want to be what? Seen. <laughs> if somebody's hunting me, I don't want them to find me. I don't step out in the middle of the night dressed in white, head to toe, with lights shining all around me. No. See, this proves the fact that Jesus is not afraid of the enemy and that the enemy, doesn't, the enemy to God is not an enemy at all. And we, the armies of God, are not going to have to fight at all. Jesus is going to do everything. Glory be to his holy name. The Bible says, Coming out of his mouth is a sharp two-edged sword to which he'll strike down the nations. 
He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will tread on the winepress of God's fury. On his robe and on his thighs written, King of kings and Lord of lords. When you go to battle, on your side is typically not a, a, a name, usually a sword, a weapon, some type of knife, firearm, something to protect yourself. But when Jesus steps out, it's going to say, King of kings and Lord of lords. Why? Because he's going to fight with the word of God and with the one word from his mouth. It's all over. It's all over. It's going to happen in an instant, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. Jesus Christ will then, after the annihilation of the enemy, bind Satan for a thousand years. He'll be bound for a thousand years, and we will go on a thousand-year honeymoon with Jesus. <laughs> How many of you want to go on a honeymoon? We're going to go on a honeymoon for a thousand years. We're going to be with Jesus for a thousand years and have a wonderful honeymoon. Glory be to God. Church, I'm encouraging you this Christmas season. I'm encouraging you as best as I know how to look for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Get this hope in your heart. Because the days that we're going into in 2024 are going to be very evil. It's going to be, the Bible has already told us it's going to be evil. If you think it's going to get better, you're just lying to yourself. It's not. The days are going to get more and more dark. It's going to be evil. But the great hope, the thing that well, you can hold on to and know that I'm going to make it through this regardless of what happens, even if it costs me my life, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. I can't tell you enough. Jesus is coming. I can't say it more clearly than I'm saying to you right now. Prepare the room for Jesus. Prepare because the first stage of his second coming could happen any time. You could be raptured before we eat dinner. <laughs> We could be spending Christmas in the Father's house. How about that? I mean, man, how many of you are tired of the things that are going on in this world? Aren't you looking forward to the day when it's all over? Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Get me out. Everybody say with me, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I'm going to say it again. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. What the Bible says to pray, this should be your prayer. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. The Bible says, pray that your flight be not in the winter. Now, I don't know what that means, but Jesus said to pray. So, Father, we pray that our flight is not in the winter. It says, pray that when this happens, that you're not pregnant or nursing during those days. So, Father, I pray that you protect our families from being pregnant and nursing during this time. Jesus said to pray this way, not me. He said, you better get ready. I'm coming. And then pray that you could be counted worthy. Pray that you could be counted worthy to stand before him at his coming. Jesus is coming, church. He's coming back. My Christmas present to you is hope. Hope. 
Don't hope in your money. Don't hope in crypto coins. Don't hope in gold. Don't hope in your beans and weenies. Don't hope in your bullets. And I'm not saying you shouldn't prepare to some degree, but your hope better be in the Lord Jesus Christ. Your hope better be Jesus is coming, and no matter what happens, there is my blessed hope. I'm believing for Jesus to come get me. Amen? Amen. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, if you say, if you say Pastor, I don't know if the rapture happens today if I'd go. See, Jesus comes and gives messages like this, not to condemn you and beat you up and send you to hell, but to rescue you, glory to God. You're sitting here today hearing these things because God is saying, I'm telling you what's going to happen, and I want you to be with me in my house, so please ask Jesus to come into your life. Please ask Jesus to forgive you. So how do you do it? It's simple. The Bible says you repent of your sins. You repent of your sins. If you've repented of your sins today and you know, would you just lift your hand before the Father and say, I know I did. I've repented. I know I have. There's no doubt I've repented. I've placed my heart. How many of you can raise your hands and say, I prayed the sinner's prayer and I've accepted Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. See, there's hands up all over the room. You can put your hands down. Maybe today you'd say, you're here, and you say, Andrew, I want to raise my hand, but I can't. Andrew, I want to do that. I want to know. And I want to be certain. I'd rather have you pray this prayer a thousand times. And if it took 999 times for you to get it wrong on the thousandth time, you got it right, well, glory be to God. My own personal salvation testimony was I was a wicked, lost sinner. And after I found out about the saving grace of Jesus, and I did things that I didn't think he could ever forgive me of, and when I bowed, not knowingly, and asked him to come into my heart, I think every church service for the next six months, I was in the altar crying my eyes out, giving my life to Jesus. I, I ran down every altar call that they had for six months. I know I did. I stood in the altar and cried my eyes out. And then one day it happened. I was standing in the altar and I was crying and I thought, I don't feel that way anymore. You really forgave me. All those feelings are gone. Oh my gosh. And then the reality came to me. Jesus really did forgive me of my sins. And my life radically changed at that moment. I no longer ran to him in judgment, but I came to him as my daddy. I came to him as a son. Oh, what a difference it makes. So just right here, if you're ready and you've never done it or you're concerned about it, pray this prayer with me. And say right here, right now, I come to you, Father, in the name of Jesus. And I, the Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
I'm calling upon you right now, Jesus. I'm asking you to come into my heart. I repent of my sins. And today I confess with my mouth, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. And I place my faith in him and belief in him right now. And I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. And I thank you for saving me today and washing me clean of all my sins. I receive you today in Jesus' name. Now, if you did that because you needed to do it, you just lift your hand and say, that was me. I did it. If you're watching online, just do it. It's for you. Amen. God Almighty loves you. What a wonderful Christmas gift to know that Jesus is your Savior. Amen. Amen. Why don't you give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. We'd like to thank everybody for joining us today online. Uh, thank you for being with us. We'll be back on Tuesday night at 630. We pray that you'd have a wonderful, blessed Christmas and a happy new year. We'll see you on Tuesday night. Why don't you stand to your feet with us, church? We're going to sing a closing song. We're going to pray over this food. And then, and then we're going to go make Nick go last. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for today's service. We thank you that Jesus was born, that Jesus died, was resurrected, and he's coming again. Today we celebrate the birth of Jesus, and we thank you, Father, for your goodness and mercy upon our lives. Father, we thank you. We ask your blessings upon this food. Father, bless this food today. Bless all the people who prepared it, dear God. We give you thanks for it. The Bible says, in everything, give thanks. We give thanks, Lord, today. Would you just say, thank you, Jesus? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we bless you and praise you. We bless this food and this fellowship time. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, sing. Joy to the world, then we'll go eat. Let earth